Marcus, just grow up. If I had a dollar for every time that I was told that as a kid, honestly, probably even last week, I would be a millionaire. Um, I was always told, Marcus, just grow up, stop being a kid. Isn't it funny as you grow up? Uh, when you're a kid, you can't wait to be an adult. When you're an adult, you're like, man, it was great to be a kid. Didn't have bills, right? You know, you didn't, you didn't have some of the things you have. Uh, I remember being a kid, I was always told to grow up, and I got into a lot of trouble because I liked having a lot of fun. Uh, I grew up with two sisters in the house and my mom, so I grew up around three women. My dad wasn't always in the picture. So uh, three women in the house, uh, a lot of different things happened all the time. One of them, my sisters were bigger than me, and so they would beat me up. True story. Uh, they fed me baby alive food for dinner. I promise you, I'm not making this up. If you know what baby alive is, it's this little doll, kind of like a Cabbage Patch doll, but that you feed it things and it excretes those things, right? If you will. They fed me that food for dinner. I said, what's for dinner? They said this. And I was like, okay. So I ate it. Uh, I also, uh, anyways, okay, yeah. So, uh, but my, um, my sisters, I loved my sisters, but they beat me up all the time. And my parents would say, one day he's going to get bigger than you and he's going to fight back. Uh, so I remember this, this day very vividly. Uh, one time my sister uh, slapped me. My mom heard a huge slap and then I started screaming and crying. She runs in and since I'm the youngest, I'm what my mom calls mama baby, right? She always takes care of mama's baby. So she ran up to me and held me. And this is what parents do. You laugh when the child is hurt. If you know they're okay, you're holding them. I felt my mom shaking. <laughs> oh my God, you're okay. You're okay. And she said this, she doesn't know what it's like to hit mama baby. She doesn't know how much that hurts. So my mom walked away. Then she heard a loud slap again. And my sister screamed. My mom came back. I said, she, she knows now. She knows how much it hurts now. I'm not condoning hitting, but that's another time when I was told, Marcus, just grow up. Now, whether you have kids, you will have kids, you're on a journey to having kids, you know kids, or like me, you still act like a kid, I have good news. Jesus always has time for children. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is God's heart for his kids. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? It's in the New Testament. So after you get past Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah and all the, some of my favorite books there, some of the prophetic books, you'll see Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Then you'll be in Matthew, first book of the New Testament, part of the four gospels that talk about the life of Jesus. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. And I want to set up uh, what's happened so far. So Jesus has walked with the disciples probably for about two years at this point. Um, he's told them some of the great things. They've seen great miracles. Uh, Jesus actually earlier in chapter 18, uh, or 17, sorry, he had told them uh, he was going to cruci be crucified. He would die a brutal death. He would be placed in a tomb, then he would arise on the third day. He would resurrect. He told them all of this, and then the disciples start to think, okay, Jesus has been leading this ministry. Who's next? You know, like, if Jesus is going to be gone, then, like, who's going, to, who's going to be the greatest at this point? So they're having this conversation, and this is uh, one of these moments in Scripture that you see happen multiple times throughout the Gospels. Uh, we call it the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are a synopsis of Jesus' life, and they're very similar. Uh, you see in, in Matthew, it happens here in 18, and the book of Mark, it happens in Mark chapter 9, and then you see it again in Luke chapter 9. And it's this conversation that the disciples are having, and then Jesus calls them out on it. So they begin to argue like children, like children like to do, like we like to do. And this is what happens. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
Isn't that the sad pursuit of humanity? Just become the greatest. We view our worth on what we achieve, uh, not what God has for us. Our primary concern is the level and our status. And God is about to reveal to us through his word, through Jesus, that our primary concern should not be status, but purpose. He says this, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Now, what I love about this story is we know just from a historical context and throughout this gospel, we can tell at this moment they're in the hub of their ministry, which is Capernaum. And they're most likely inside of Peter and Andrew's home. Uh, Peter had kids. So I wonder if this kid that was brought over to Jesus was one of Peter's kids. Can you imagine if you're in a room with Jesus and one of your kids comes up? You've seen him do some great miracles. I'd be like, hey, Jesus, I don't want to see you resurrect or do something crazy right now. This is my baby. Mama, baby, you know, don't touch the kids, right? So the kid comes up and he sets the child among them. Uh, we read in, in Mark's gospel that the child was actually on Jesus' lap. So just imagine what that would look like. Imagine if you were that kid. I wonder what that would have felt like to tell your friends, um, you're not going to believe what happened. You know that Jesus guy? Yeah, walk on water, Jesus. Yeah, like feed 5,000 plus Jesus. We hung out. It was wild. And then he told the disciples some things. What would they tell him? And this is it here. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What was the disciples' questions? How do I become the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you're talking about your status in the kingdom of heaven. You're not even going to get access unless you become like a little child. Now, there's a difference between being childish and childlike, right? I can be childish. <laughs> Let's be childlike today. And we get to see more of it. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, to humble yourself is to make yourself low, to realize that there is a God above you. And I've realized in my own life, I can either humble myself or be humbled by God. I've tried it both ways. Much better to humble yourself. He says, that's what it looks like. Humble as a little child, you become the greatest. And anyone who welcomes a little child, like this one on my behalf, is welcoming me. And then, and then Jesus is about to get really stern with our treatment of kids, our treatment of God's people. And in case you didn't know, you are considered God's children. And what we're about to read is how, how seriously God takes you. And his heart for you. And his heart for your life. He says, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whew. Do you think God cares about kids? Uh, a millstone is this large stone. Um, there would be a large stone on the ground. And then uh, made out of millstone. Then there'd be a larger millstone that's even heavier. Um, that is like a wheel. And there would be a piece of wood or, or some type of uh, way it would be set up to be wrapped around the neck or the waist area of a donkey and a mule. And it would go around and under the wheel would be crushing grain or some type of uh, grapes for wine, whatever it was. It would just be this crushing that would be happening continually. And Jesus says, if you were to take that millstone and wrap it around someone's neck and throw them into the depths of the sea, I want you to know how much I cherish my kids. 
And then it goes on. It says, I, I, I want to talk about what happens when you lead my kids to sin. Um, we've talked about this word sin before. Sin uh, is the word missing the mark. We've talked about transgressions. Uh, transgressions essentially is the breach of trust. We've talked about iniquities. This is the three words we see in the Bible uh, when it comes to our wrongdoings or ways that aren't like God. Iniquities is crooked behavior. Uh, God is saying when you cause these little ones, when people cause you, when we cause others to sin, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? He goes on, he says, temptations are inevitable. Remind you, this is, this is how Jesus started his ministry. He's led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. He said, temptations are inevitable. What sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Uh, Pastor Brooks shared about a few different ministries. Uh, Grace, girls rising above child exploitation. Um, according to scripture, what sorrow awaits those who are preying on the vulnerability of children? And causing them to be anything less than God has called them to be. You heard about bridge builders. What sorrow awaits those who, when people are coming in to find safety, to find hope. Um, and I'll be really honest. Regardless of what you may feel about the situations surrounding all of that. Scripture time and time again reminds us. When there are people that are coming and searching for hope. And searching for some type of freedom. You should offer it to them because we were given freedom first Amen. through Jesus. So as I understand, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of things that surround that. But we as a church are here for people because God is for people. So that's what we do. This is what sorrow awaits. Then he talks about how seriously he wants us to deal with sin in our lives. Because he says there's sorrow when we cause people to sin. There's also sorrow when we do sin because it puts a separation between us and God. Now, this is a bit of hyperbole that he's about to share right now. I don't want you to go home and start doing this. Uh, this is, he he like goes through this like mutilation of self, but he's talking about the spiritual realms. Deal seriously with sin. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, I don't want to see a one-footed person come to Nick tomorrow, uh, you know. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better... To enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire. Complete separation with both your hands and feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. I don't want to see any eye patches next week, church. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. He's talking about complete separation. What he's saying is, uh, church, if there is something in your life that is causing you to have a wedge between you and your relationship with God, it's time to get serious about it. Because God's heart for you is so extreme and so amazing and so valuable and so precious that he's saying, I want you to disregard anything that pulls you away from me because I am your father and I want to be with you. And that other thing, those other things are trying to pull you away, whether it's an ideology, whether it's an addiction, whether whatever it may be, an anger, an unforgiveness, I want you to remove it all and throw it away because you're going to miss me. So in our hearts, let's begin to think. What is that? And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. Oh man, they were perfect. Were they? They're talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus is saying, you need to be dealing with the thing that is within you. That you're not even ready to talk about. Jesus says, start to deal with that. Because I want you to experience the kingdom of heaven. 
And he goes on. Remember there's a child on his lap. He says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Did you see the, the belonging there? Their angels? Uh, and many times uh, we have these conversations, you know, do we have guardian angels? And uh, I like to settle the conversation. Angels exist. Angels are for God and for God's people. That's it. But like, do I have a guardian angel? I don't know. What I do know is angels are for God and for God's people. And according to this scripture, their angels are in the presence of the Heavenly Father. There are angels. There is Jesus right now praying and interceding on your behalf for your situation in heaven right now. That should blow our stinking minds. For real? Yes, there's an angel that is praying for your family right now, Joe. There's an angel praying for your family right now. That's amazing. And we're like, I just don't have time to pray. You got angels already in there. Just jump in. They're praying on your behalf. Verse 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And begin to think. Let's say you go to the store. You have three kids. You go to the store. You come back with two. <laughs> I don't know if mama would be too happy, right? Hey, you know, it's like, I didn't lose them all, right? I got some. We're still good. You know, babe, I told you to get the milk and bring the kids back. You didn't say bring all the kids back. I brought some back. No, you'll, you'll hear what happens. Jesus says, here's what will happen. He's going to go and find that one. And if he finds it, I tell you, he will rejoice over it even more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. Uh, parents in the room, if you're in the room and you have a child who's wandering away right now, just know that there are angels and there's God's people, his church, that are with you in this journey. You're thinking, you know, I, they've been gone so long. I mean, I, I have images of some of the kids in my mind right now that are running away, that have run away, that are running away from the faith, running away from home. And we're praying for them daily. And we're searching for them. I can't tell you, I, I can't even count the amount of times that people have walked into this church and say, I know you care about us. That have never been to Newbreck. I know you care about us. My son has run away. Could you help us? Yeah, we're in. If you're feeling that, if you're feeling that pain and that emotion, please know that's a godly emotion because he cares. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. And we want to partner with you to do the same. And notice how he closes it. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Now there is so much in those 14 verses. But if there's, if there's something that we can grasp, if there's something that we can see, it's, it's truly God's heart. You see, just for, for context, at this time, uh, kids weren't like put on some type of pedestal. Kids were people of low esteem and often low respect. People that had their own kids, they loved their kids. They cherished their own kids, but they simply tolerated everyone else's kids. Some of you are like, that's still me today, right? Like, that's how it was back then. I just tolerate the other ones. That's not Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is, I value children. He values you. You are God's children. Like, you have great value and importance in the kingdom of God. 
And as a child is on the lap of Jesus, he's beginning to tell everyone around them, the disciples included, do you see how precious these children are to me? In fact, he calls you his children as he's talking about Israel and Zechariah. He says, those who touch you and harm you are harming the apple of my eye. He says, it's like you are just punching me in the eye when you harm one of these kids. And Jesus' heart is, is so for the next generation, so for us, so for his kids. I mean, it's here and everywhere. With kingdom builders, so we often talk about what we do locally and globally, but I want us just to put it into perspective. We, right here, right now, are changing the world live as we speak, even right here in our backyard. The fact that Jesus values children should not be a shocking statement, but as you look at our world today, it seems like not everyone believes that. As you see the way that kids right in San Diego are treated, like I know Jesus values children, but obviously other people don't. What if there's a way that we could step in, that we could do something about it? Jesus cares about the children here. Jesus cares about the children in our nation, and our, our state. Jesus cares about children all over the world. He cares. And so should we. There should be a moment when we step in and say, okay, Lord, we want to be what you're calling us to be. You care for your children. We want to care for them as well. And I believe he cares for children because they model a posture that many of us should have. Notice Jesus' words. He says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because there's this issue that many of us deal with. And it's an unspoken emotion that impacts our daily interactions. This unspoken emotion is pride. Because when they're asking the question, who is the greatest? It's the same way that we would think, I deserve that promotion. That should be me. Oh, if I had that, oh, I'd do so much different if I had what they had. I deserve this. You see, pride is not about building God's kingdom. Pride is about building our own kingdom. And sadly, pride is the greatest distance between two people. When there's pride in a relationship, the, dis the distance in the relationship becomes bigger and bigger and greater and greater. And our mission statement here at Newbreak is connecting people with God through authentic relationships to serve communities. You cannot be prideful and authentic at the same time. Because pride is very artificial. Uh, I know the times I've struggled with pride the most has been the moments when I've been dealing with insecurity the greatest. Pride is artificial. Humility. I am who I am. And God is who he is. Let's live this life together giving glory to him. Humility is authentic. If I can be humble as a little child, and you're thinking, well, I don't know what my child, they're not humble. Okay, well, this one wasn't a teenager, right? That was on his lap, like, like not yet, right? This kid is sitting on the lap of Jesus. You know, if it were us, we'd be like, hey, you see where I'm at? Closest one to him. We see no words that the child said at this moment. Probably in awe. I heard a story yesterday. Uh, my wife, through FaceTime, and I, we went to the hospital to meet with a family, Jessica Doyle and her mom, and um, praying for them, and Brock and Ellie. So they're going through a lot of uh, medical difficulties, and she just wanted to thank you as a church and her life group for praying with her. She said, my phone goes nonstop because I have a community. So give yourselves a hand. You are an amazing, powerful, powerful church. Um, 
she was telling me, I, I kind of shared with her what we were talking about. She's like, I'm not going to make it to church tomorrow. I'm like, you're in the hospital. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, so we were kind of talking. She was asking what we're going to be talking about. And I said, we're, we're talking about this idea of humility, looking like a child. And how a child just is in awe of Jesus. Um, and she said, can I tell you a story? I said, yeah. She said, our life group was meeting in the sanctuary. And her daughter, Ellie, kept pointing to the cross that's in the room. She kept pointing to the cross and pointing to the cross. Eventually walked over to the cross, looked up, pointed, and started smiling and looking back at the group. And she said one of the ladies in the group said, she obviously sees Jesus in this room. Can you imagine the child sitting on the lap of Jesus? Like sitting and seeing the heart of God face to face. Knowing that they are loved dearly by a powerful awesome, all-loving creator. Imagine if that was the love that would be offered to every child that ever existed. Can you imagine what that would look like in our world today? If there was no child that didn't experience true, genuine love? And I believe that children are able to experience this type because they do have this beautiful humility. And, and when it comes to us being children, like Jesus is asking us to be, he's saying, I want you to be like children who are completely dependent on others. Because I wrote it this way, that children are those who are dependent on their caregivers. I'm talking about children to the point that if they're left alone, they will truly perish. And I believe this is so beautiful because they practice and live in this humility because there's trust when it comes to how kids view their caregivers. There's transparency when it comes to how kids view their caregivers. And there's also vulnerability in the relationship. And woe to those, what sorrow awaits those who try to pervert and prey on that vulnerability. But who are the children supposed to be dependent on when their own caregivers think the unthinkable is acceptable? Who are they to trust when caregivers right here in San Diego believe that it's greater that their child be sold into human trafficking? When all around the world we're seeing what is happening with, with kids that are being inundated with different views and, and things and they're, and they're being caused to view themselves in ways that God didn't design them and, and they're being forced into child labor. Who are they to trust when they can't trust the people in their own home? You know, at the root of all of these, as you look at different statistics, the root of all of this is poverty. And as we see the reality of poverty, I believe there's something that we should do as a church about it. I was reading a recent article uh, just about poverty and children in poverty in our world today. One of the lines quoted was, a world where 333 million children live in extreme poverty. And extreme poverty is not just living below the income. Extreme poverty is deprived not only of basic needs, but also dignity, opportunity, and hope they would go on to say is simply intolerable. 333 million children, extreme poverty in the world. That's more people than people in America. Just let our minds sit there for a moment. There are kids right now who not only have no clue where their next meal is coming from, they don't know what a hug feels like, they don't know what it means to be loved, Truly, they don't know what it means to be able to go home to a place where you're not going to be abused. I believe we have to do something about it. 
And many of us, we become so numb because it's just it's what we see in the world today. I recently read a story of a new pastor who walked into a really painful situation. Uh, this church was in the midst of a really difficult, painful, aggressive culture in this city. And the poverty level was lower than anything he'd ever seen. The amount of violence was greater than anything he'd ever seen. And as he walks into his office on his first day, he looks out this window and he sees the tragic conditions of the city. And he just begins to weep. Begins to weep. The pastor who was on his way out, that was essentially giving this position to this next pastor, walked into that office and put his hand on his shoulder. He said, hey, don't worry about it. After a while, you get used to it. And the new pastor said, that's exactly why I'm weeping. How many of us have gotten so used to this? What if we can't be used to it anymore? This is where one of our partners, Child Hope, has begun to step in in this area. And Child Hope is, uh, exists in Latin America and the Caribbean. And I just want to share out of these 333 million, how many are actually coming from Latin America? And it's unreal to see the reality of poverty that we're seeing. We got these stats from the United Nations Economic Commissions of Latin America um, that we found 64.5 million children in Latin America and the Caribbean are living in poverty. Meaning that they're no longer going to school because they need to provide to put food on the table in their families. They're getting pressure from their parents or their caregivers to leave school to no longer get learning so that they can go out and put food on the table. And if they're not going to secondary school, this is 100%, 100% of children that leave primary school and don't go to secondary school. Primary school, uh, much of the rest of the world besides America, primary school is, is first grade to sixth grade. And then you have seventh grade and eighth grade, which is uh, in seventh grade, eighth grade, all the way to twelfth grade, that's secondary, and then you have university. If you don't go to secondary school, you will never get out of poverty, is what the stats have shown. Zero percent. So they're creating the cycle over and over and over and over and over and over again. And this is where child hope steps in. Then we also see 45% of Latin Americans under the age of 18 are living in poverty. After the pandemic, uh, we've noticed all over the world there's an education crisis where people aren't able to go to the same schools or experience the same education as they once did before. This is happening all over the world. Here in the States, we're, we're seeing it. And in Latin America and the Caribbean, four out of five won't even be able to read basic literature. Can you imagine what that would do to the poverty cycle? in a community. If you weren't able to read the homework of your child to help them, if you weren't able to read the next contract that you got for that car that you're about to buy or the house you're about to buy or the business decision, if you can't read, imagine what happens to the economy in Latin America, in the nation, in our world today, right here in San Diego. They're dropping out of school they're not learning, and the poverty cycle continues and continues. And this is the stat that breaks my heart the most. It's that two in three children in Latin America and the Caribbean experience violence at home. They're vulnerable from the moment they're born um, all the way up to 18 and, and on. Extremely vulnerable. Um, they found that at the age of 10, they become even more vulnerable to the extreme abuse. 
that you have 10-year-old boys and girls that are then trafficked. You have 10-year-old boys and girls that are sexually abused and sexual violence in the home. As I said, children are those who are dependent on their caregivers. Who can you depend on when you can't trust the people in your own home? The leading cause of death for these children is homicide. It's murder, oftentimes by their own family members. And I believe there's something we should do. The homicide rate in Latin America and the Caribbean is four times greater than the national average of the, er, the average of the entire world. Like, I believe there's something we should do. And I believe we find it in the heart of Jesus because he takes the care and the safety of children safe, seriously. And as you see these stats, and I think of my own story, growing up in a home with a mom who loved me dearly and was there. And a father who was not as present, and when he was present, it was extremely dangerous. And my father would eventually go to prison. And for those of you that have heard me talk about um, some of the things that my father has done, can I tell you that there are men in this room that I view as a father figure? And many of you have stepped in. I think of John, I think of Dan, I think of Paul. Many of you have stepped in and been that for me. And you're helping me break the cycle. Because it was not just my father, it was his father, and his father's father, and his father's father's father. That harmed us in ways that, to this day, still am, am having difficulty even say out loud. I see this, and I say, God, you care of the safety of children seriously. He says, Marcus, I do. And I said, what about me? So Marcus, I didn't, I didn't wish that for you. I didn't say I want this for you. But what you can do with your hurt is break the cycle and ensure that no other kid goes through what you experienced. Jesus says, I don't want you to scandalize, to brutalize, and to hurt these kids in ways that no one should ever have to experience. I'm reminded of what Jesus talks in Matthew later on. In this gospel, Matthew 25, he talks, about, talks to the disciples about there will be a day when you stand in front of the Father and you stand in front of me and, and you begin to say, where am I? What, what am I to do? And, and Jesus will say, you, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I had nothing to wear. When I was in prison, you gave me help. And you will say, when did we do any of these things? And Jesus says, you, I will tell you what you've done to the least of these you've done to me. I think that's double-sided. When we serve the least of these, we're truly serving Jesus. When we brutalize and harm the vulnerable and the needy, I want us to think for a moment what that does to the heart of Jesus. Jesus, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so he says, when you welcome a little child like this on my behalf, you're welcoming me. That's what we get to do as a church. They're kingdom builders. They're building, building the kingdom of God here locally and globally, partnering with Grace, partnering with Bridge Builders, partnering with other organizations right here in San Diego. Because as I share these stats, as I share these stories, I'm sharing my personal story. I grew up here in California. There are kids that are experiencing this right here, right now, today. And we as a church believe we have to step up. Because if we can welcome the kids, we're welcoming Jesus. I remember what he said. But if you cause them to sin, 
If you trust me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck. Be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is one of the ways that the Greco-Roman culture would actually punish people. They'd actually throw them into the sea. Mind you, they're in Capernaum. Uh, there is the Sea of Galilee right near there. They would have known and understood the water. And can you imagine having that weight on you? Jesus saying, I care so much about the kids that something has to be done. Something has to be done. I believe something has to be done for us. Now, for the kids in Latin America and for the kids in San Diego, the most dangerous times for them are before school and after school. Just think about if you've ever been in this situation when you're leaving school and for these young boys and girls in Latin America, they truly just take a deep breath in and deep breath out as they walk past men who are preying on young girls, men who are sniffing glue and sniffing paint to get high and are catcalling eight-year-olds. And as they walk through and try to make it, and the young boys are being told that they need to experience some type of violence and some type of power, you need to show these girls that they aren't nothing. So you're eight years old and you're being told to join a gang. These kids keep walking just to hopefully make it home. Because if they make it home, at least they know home. As the saying goes, the devil you know is often better than the devil you don't. So they go home and they're taken advantage of by the people inside of their home, their aunts and their uncles, their mom and their dad, their grandparents, their brothers. And Jesus says, I, I see that. And I see the pain that they're going through. And I'm here to do something. A missionary partner that we partner with, the Araya family, this is Chino and Marcella and their girls, Abby and um, uh, Abigail, sorry, uh, and they're sitting right next to them. We sponsor this entire family so they don't have to have another, um, they don't have to be bivocational. They get to focus just on serving these families. You do that with your giving. You pay their entire salary. You ensure that they have a place to stay. We ensure that they have food to eat. We ensure that they can continue to build these programs. They have programs all over that are happening that are changing lives. They said something has to be done about it. So they raise their own support. We, we help support them. They're supported by you. And they're changing the world. They're starting Chicas and Chicas pro, Chicas and Chicos programs where they're having after school programs for kids so they can have a safe place. They can learn about Jesus. They have food. They learn skills. So I want to tell you about both of them, the Chicas program. Chicas de Promesa, Girls of Promise, offers girls a safe place to go and teaches them to see themselves the way God does, as people of incredible worth and purpose. Don't we need that in the entire world today? That they're precious. That they're not property, but they are precious in the eyes of God. I want to show you some of the pictures from what your giving does. These are the girls dressed up. I mean, look at their faces. I see these pictures and I'm nearly brought to tears because I wonder if this is one of the first times they smiled in their lives. As they get to wear clean clothes, as they get to drink tea, as they get to dress up. You hear in, in some of the videos a little later, they say that's their favorite part of this entire thing is dressing up. Because they have clean clothes. Putting on wigs. No one has blonde hair over there. They're like, look at me. <laughs> that's what our giving does. Look at these girls here, just smiling. And as you see their eyes, you see their smile, now you understand the heart of God why he would say, great sorrow awaits those who take advantage of these kids. Where they're given clean clothes, they're able to learn. 
They break the poverty cycle because they're given education and they learn about Jesus. And they get to do arts and crafts. Look at this entire room. We paid for all of this. These kids that are smiling, the staff that is there, they're doing art. Maybe they didn't even know they could do it. This is where our giving goes. They walk into these rooms and they know that they're safe, that no one will take advantage of them. Could you imagine offering that to kids today? Then we have our Chico's programs. Our Chico's programs, it raises up boys to be a countercultural force in their homes and communities and teaches them to find their identity in Christ and respect themselves and the women around them. How much do we need that in our world today? What happens is these young boys become leaders who transform their families, who transform their communities, and transform generations. Imagine if they could break the cycle, and we're seeing it happen time and time again. I love this picture here of the boys, just with pictures of themselves, most likely not having a mirror or ever had a picture taken of them inside of their home before. Now they get to see what they look like, and imagine them writing what God says about them instead of what the world tells them. I would love to see this craft happening all over the world today. These boys smiling. Great sorrow awaits those who take advantage of boys like this. I, I think of what I experienced. I think of the pain that I personally went through, and maybe you've gone through some of that pain. I have a unique experience that allows me to speak to people that have walked in these shoes. And can I tell you that God did not want any of that to happen to you. And at the same time, God allows that to be part of our story so that it can change lives of others. Because I know I can break the cycle. And it's not just for my home. It's for these boys in their home. It's for, it's for kids in San Diego and the rest of the world. That we can break the cycle. We can do something about it. And if you know, uh, my wife and I, our goal is to foster and adopt. And um, she comes back in July. We're going to have some, you know, visits back and forth. Uh, she comes back in July and I told her, I have foster fever. I am ready. Um, so when she comes back, we're going to, um, we have, we've already had a foster youth in our home before. Um, we're going to continue to do it and then adopt. And I get to break the cycle for our home. I get to break the cycle for my last name. And I get to break the cycle for a kid that is coming in that felt unwanted and unloved. Imagine what we could do as a church if we started to have that heart for the entire world. When I see these kids who've been taken advantage of with their great smiles and their eyes as they're just looking, as they're out there having fun, what if we could break the cycle for them? And it looks like this. This is their promotion day. Look how sharp these young men look. Come on now. Right? Give them a hand. This is graduating uh, secondary school. Um, many of them go on to go to college, which is out of the norm. And they go on to go to college, and they learn, and they learn these skills, and they come back and start businesses, and they give a job to everyone else in the community, and they're able to change the destiny and the lives of everyone else that is there. Through our Chicos and Chicos programs, nine out of ten children that go through the program, nine out of ten go to college. That is unreal. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think of a young boy named Christian. A Christian grew up in a very damaged and broken home. Uh, maybe like me and maybe like you. Um, he didn't know who to trust. He was in a lot of pain. 
whenever he would get a bad grade in school, he didn't want to bring it home because he knew that all his parents would look at was the bad grade, not the good grade. And he would be abused, taken advantage of. Christian had shared with his teachers that he wanted to end his life. Um, there's nothing really set up out there for that, so the teachers didn't know what to do. Well, shortly thereafter, Christian was found in his bedroom with wounds all over his body from razor blades. On the brink of death, his aunt found him and said, something has to be done. Took him to the hospital. He gets out of the hospital. And she says, I want to take you to church. And we, our Chicas and Chicos programs have church. And the family said, no, we don't do any religious activity. And she thought that was it. She found out our Chicas and Chicos programs have events on Saturday that are completely free and they get to have a ton of fun and they get to learn about Jesus. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to take them on Saturdays to go play soccer. Told the family that and the family said, okay. So he did play soccer, but he also learned about the love of Jesus. When Christian first came, he was extremely violent. Um, I love Christian's story because it reminds me of mine. When he saw other people, he'd become extremely violent. He didn't want to talk to anyone. He was very quiet. But over the course of a few months, something started to change. The teacher started to say something was so different about him. He started to smile. He started to get involved. Today, Christian is a Christian. He finished secondary school and graduated at the top of his class. And they do a government test, a government assessment to ensure that you can go on to university. He scored the highest that the government has seen come out of our programs. How powerful is that? Come on now. And that's the heart of God. For kids. For you. You are God's children. So if we want to experience the kingdom of heaven, let us humble ourselves as children. And also let us care for children. Because just like none of us would want to hear Christian perish, we would not want to hear our own kids perish. Jesus says, in the same way, it's not my Father's will that even one should perish. We have the answer, church. We have many ministries all over the world, right here in San Diego, that are changing and impacting lives. We have a tangible solution for a generational change. And we get to be a part of it. And there's a cost to all of this. As you know, there's a cost to all of it. Uh, $25,000 uh, starts a program and ones, runs a program for an entire year. We want to do multiple programs. How many? As many as possible. That's what we want to do. So when you give, you're changing lives. What do we want to do here with our kids that are suffering and that are in pain? When you give... We fund ministries and organizations that exist. We also start ones that never existed. Give Clean Water came out of New Break Church. Grace, Girls Rising Above Child Exploit Exploitation came out of New Break Church. There's a cost. But those kids, not one of them should perish. So what if we could start with prayer, start with courage, start with being united, and have this effort where we change the world around us? And maybe you're like, I just want to go and see what it looks like. Well, a few years back we did. This is the picture of the Cindy's. I called it Cindy's with the kids. Um, they're out there in Bolivia looking at one of the Child Hope um, places that we sponsored. And 
constructed. We have another trip coming up in January, January 26th through February 4th, uh, 2024. You can go on that trip to see what is happening. Be part of the construction, be part of the evangelism, be part of the discipleship as you're seeing these kids' lives changed forever because of what we get to do. Here at Newbrick, we like to say pray, give, and go. Let's imagine what could happen if we really do this. I want to show a video about what we've done so far and what we can do. Let's check it out. Las escuelas de la Fundación Piedad están ubicadas en zonas de alto riesgo social, donde hay pobreza y extrema pobreza, donde hay un porcentaje demasiado alto de hogares disfuncionales. Hace más o menos algunos años, en esta institución se dio una situación de mucho abuso, pero sobre todo el abuso de tipo sexual. Se me presentó un caso muy doloroso, muy doloroso, donde una niña era abusada por su propio papá. Por supuesto, fui, puse la denuncia. Eh, Mary Mahón vino ese día, seguro me notó algo y me preguntó qué le pasa. I remember coming up here to the school one day and I saw Cordalia and, and she had had to go that day to report the third abuse among the girls in her school that week. And I remember her just expressing a sense of frustration. Um, this started a, a dialogue between the two of us and then the Lord laid on our hearts this idea of a girls empowerment club. Así nace Chicas de Promesa. Chicas de Promesa es un lugar, es como un programa que nos ayuda en Chicas, nos dan una enseñanza, este, hacemos unas manualidades, a veces nos podemos vestir y a veces nos dan comida. ¿Y cuál parte es tu favorito? Eh, vestirnos. Sí, ¿y cómo le gusta vestirse? Con un tutú morado, con unos lentes y con unos guantes. Aprendemos de que somos muy valiosas, de que Dios nos ama, de que nadie es menos importante que los demás y que todos nos debemos respetar. Yo pienso que este programa nos ayuda mucho porque así en nuestras vidas podemos ser fuertes y valientes cuando venga algún problema. Como cuando nuestros padres se divorcian o cuando algún familiar es drogadicto en nuestras casas. Um, the girls here are not at risk when their moms are at home. So at night, everything's fine. It's during the day, before and after school, when um, they're subject to, to abuse from, from different people, whether it be uncles or, or stepfathers or other young men in the community. Cuando se daba el abuso, eh, yo podría decir, si iba tres veces a la semana, ese porcentaje nos bajó a cero porque ya no he vuelto a ir. Entonces significa que, que la verdad es que Dios está haciendo una obra maravillosa. But we're seeing results in this ministry because the girls understand the value they have. They're feeling empowered and they're talking about the abuse. And for some reason that's helping them not to fall into um, becoming victims as they did before. Creo que este programa nació en el corazón de Dios. Y yo le voy a decir por qué lo puedo decir. Por los cambios que hay. Es que son cambios radicales. 
eh, Chicas nos puede ayudar diciéndonos que todos nuestros sueños se pueden hacer realidad y ayudándonos en todo lo que se pueda hacer posible. Podemos compartir también con nuestras familias en el futuro. Si alguien está pasando con un problema, compartir lo que nos han enseñado, decirles que todos somos valiosos y que siempre Dios va a estar con nosotros. So we shared last week, um, when we give, we change lives, we bring the life-changing message of the gospel to the entire world, here locally and globally. So you saw what's happening in Bolivia with, it's not only protection, it's prevention, it's also discipleship. Well, we want to start more areas and more spaces where we can offer more technology. We're paying for computer labs. We're praying, playing for um, the different programs that are going on. Uh, we're also paying for instruments. Can you imagine a kid playing a flute and being like, this came from New Break Church. This is so awesome. Uh, we get to be a part of that. So we want to work in Honduras, uh, Bolivia, Nicaragua. Um, and we want to keep going as long as we can. So we want to partner with Child Hope. We want to partner with our local organizations here as well. So this is when we give. This is our opportunity to be a part of it. And so I want to encourage you, let's be a part of this. What does it look like? I don't, I, I don't know. There's not, there's not an amount that fixes the problem. But we can all do something. So within our hearts, as we talked last week, how we give and it changes lives, let's do that. I believe God has a heart for kids. He values them. He cares here, locally, and globally all over the world. Let's make a difference today. I want to pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us, to lead us in the love um, to those around me. So let's pray. God, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that uh, as we pray, as we give, as we worship, God, that your name would be praised. God, I think about those smiling faces. Lord, and all of us may be looking back on our own lives as kids. What did we need? What did we desire? Or we're thinking of our own kids. What kind of life would we like to create for them? What would we like to offer them? Lord God, you care about children. You care about our heart for kids. So God, give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of, of continual courage to go forward and change lives. God, we know that you care about kids right here in San Diego, right here in Tierra Santa, right in our backyard. We know that you care about kids all throughout our nation, and we know that you care about kids all over the world. So Lord, we as a church will be a lighthouse to the dark areas, and we'll start here. We'll start today. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. We ask in your name you'd be with us. We pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give together. <laughs>